Hi, welcome to another edition of Rant and Grow. This is Tulio Sergita. I have invited a good friend of mine to join us today, Keith Fiveson. Keith and I have known each other for almost 30 years. Keith, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure, Tulio. Uh, nice to hear your voice again. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've known each other for over uh, almost 30 years. Uh, has it been that long? <laughs> oh, God. Yes, it uh, has. <laughs> and uh, and God knows how many things have uh, happened over the years. Uh, and uh, we know a lot about each other's stories. But, you know, uh, I think we, we know each other through MCI uh, telecommunications back in the day when we were uh, really helping the world to communicate and connect and uh, do it uh, anywhere, anytime, any place. And nowadays, uh, certainly we've done that. And over the years, I went through, you know, a number of corporations, uh, BT, AT&T, had my own consulting firm and then PwC and then retired from there in 2016 and really did what I'm doing now, which is my passion. You know, I, I, I tried to find balance uh, over 25 years ago. Uh, I became a yoga teacher, uh, started meditating, uh, went through a whole uh, number of certifications uh, in places like Thailand and China and here in the United States with various organizations. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I came out and now I'm doing life coaching and really helping people to co communicate and connect not only to themselves, but more importantly, to the world around them. Uh, and, and God knows there are so many things that can take us away today, uh, given the news and given the state of affairs with uh, technology really taking over our lives in a, in a big way. So uh, I'm really uh, pleased that you gave me the opportunity to talk to you here. And uh, hello. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. It's an interesting journey, right? I just a little little thing most people probably not aware of. Uh, there was a time when ABC TV had their very first live eight hundred number. It was on the Kathy Lee. Uh, I think it was the mm -hmm. Kathy. What's his name? Uh, the morning show. Good morning. Yeah. Marcus. So yeah. Yeah. And they announced this eight hundred number, which was supposed to be a fax, and. Two and a half million people try to call all at the same time, and it crashed the New York telephone network. Crashed mm -hmm. it for hours. And then, obviously, the world wasn't ready for that. Today, it's so simple. Everybody calls in. America's got talent. You know, millions of voters call the same 800 number. Right. But back then, the technology wasn't there. And if you don't, you may not recall, you may recall, we brought that up. And actually, what came out of that was what turned into uh, what was designed to solve that was signaling system seven. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're talking to the guys that yeah, were kind of yeah. there when this happened. <laughs> yeah, you're dating yourself, Tudio. I mean, next thing we're going to be talking about princess phones and touchstone, touchstone versus dialing and rotary, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you advantage know. Advantage no, boxes, yeah. advantage boxes. I mean, you know, it's sort, of, it's sort of like uh, people at home listening to their record players. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, Keith, I mean. You know, I oh. I had no idea. I was using email. All of us were using email before it became popular. I had no idea how far ahead we were at the time. Uh -huh. And then obviously you had the pleasure to work with uh, with uh, Vince Cerf, who's basically oh, yeah. the, the father of TCPFP. I interviewed him last right. year on my other show, right. so it was kind of awesome. But right. anyway. He's, he's over at we, Google now, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he's a chief yeah. evangelist at Google. That's right. And That's uh, right. he's on a mission to bring the internet to outer space. But <laughs> anyway. <Sure. laughs> and so so we go back a long ways. And I invited you on the show because, yes. you know, life coaching is certainly a passion of mine. I've done it as a volunteer for the past decade. And it's one of the things I do on the show, Rant and Grow. And 
the common theme amongst all the guests is that um, uh, quite often beliefs are the things that hold people back. And, mm. and those beliefs impact people's ability to, to have the high level of self-worth needed to move forward. And really, that's the purpose of a life coach is to bring back balance into someone's life and to be able to help them believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I'm talking with you, I found something fascinating that you said you had worked a lot on mindfulness and specifically the impact of trauma mm-hmm. and how we live in a society that's very void of discussing trauma. Um, I'm curious to learn more and share with the audience um, to take it a, a step further. Uh, t- give us a little synopsis on what you've learned so far and, and the impact this has on people in general on how they show up in their lives. Sure, sure. I, th- I think one of the things you started out with, uh, I, I think, is just wonderful. You know, on my email, I have a quote by Anas Nan uh, or Anas Anais Nin. I think that's the right pronunciation. Uh, but uh, she says, uh, you know, we do not see things as they are. We see things as as we are, you know, so we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And I think that's uh, at the heart of, uh, you know, a- a- how we look at the world. And, uh, you know, you and I come out of the technology area and the telecommunications area. But, you know, when we were uh, b- back in the day, you know, there were only, you know, five or seven channels, TV channels. And of course, now it's not only television, it's also the Internet and it's a, a bifurcation or a uh, dissemination of uh, not only information, but also uh, a, frag- a fragmentation of our uh, awareness and our attention. And a lot of that is being wrapped up in trauma. A lot of it is vicarious trauma. Uh, and as a result of a lot of that, uh, we experience uh, direct trauma or explicit trauma. Um, and, you know, everybody has trauma. And uh, trauma is something that, you know, it can happen when mommy and daddy leave the room to take a wee-wee, you know, but and at the same point, the child will cry and sees it as a traumatic moment. The question is, is from an attachment viewpoint, whether or not, you know, you're able to go ahead and resolve that. And you're able to come to grips with that. And you're able to understand that perhaps that is something you can get over and move past. And you can have a, a, a narrative around it, a self-narrative or a, a narrative around the world so that you can really make sense of it. And unfortunately, today, I think uh, in society, we're getting a lot of uh, implicit trauma uh, and, uh, you know, it's through the media, it's through TV. You can't go out and see a movie nowadays if, it, it, you know, all the movies are some, somehow around the end of the world or, you know, uh, certainly a majority of them, if not all of them. But, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that we all have to deal with in order to get our narrative straight. So what are some of the key examples of the obviously you know mommy and daddy leaving the room that's not materially going to impact someone's life for their future but what are some of the traumatic situations that people are afraid to deal with well you know i i i I will tell you that you know um it may not be exactly mommy and daddy leaving the room but i do know a fellow uh, quite well uh you know that you know mommy didn't show up for him at school and at the end of the day, mommy didn't show up for him and he was trying and he had to, you know, there was a, there was another problem in, in the family, but he now, as a result of that, has problems with relationships, trusting in relationships. <clears throat> so there was an attachment there that was broken. 
There was how a old was this? How old was this individual? He was, when that he, he was all of seven years old when this happened. Yes, so I, that's the one thing I've seen too. Is uh, anything before the age of nine uh, becomes like a hard coded belief? Right, right. So and, and and it becomes like your reality when you're an adult. So his mom didn't show up. That was traumatic. And then I guess he created a belief: someone who loves you might might not be there for you when you need them. Exactly. Now that's not necessarily an explicit belief system. But it's from an implicit viewpoint, it is a, a, an emotional hard wiring that because, you know, what gets fired gets wired from the brain, from the neuroscience of the brain. So what we wind up seeing is that, you know, in the body, this is a visceral memory that is held and stored within the body. Now, the question then becomes one of from a narrative viewpoint. How do you then take that story and objectify it in a way so that you can provide some narrative to what happened to mommy and daddy? What happened uh, to me? Was I was it really all that serious? Were there other people there who could take care of me? Can I move? Can I forgive? Can I accept? Can I accept? And then can I forgive? Right. So, you know, acceptance and forgiveness are a real big part of, you know, how do we get untangled and how do we get? It, it clear in terms of the firing and the wiring so that you may not lose the you may not lose the feeling the emotional feeling but if you have the narrative and you're aware of your trauma then you have the recognition and the choice to do something differently you have the recognition and the choice to say oh there i go again and maybe this time let me trust more and share more about what happened to me and maybe through my sharing i can develop a connection Right. I can become a f- finely attuned with a person who's with me and we can sync up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, Keith, uh, we can uh, certainly talk about this and give all kinds of examples that are abstract. But uh, I'd like us to get a little vulnerable here ourselves. Mm-hmm. Sounds so, good. Uh, so, I, I, you know, in talking about trauma, I, I came to grip with something myself about two, three years ago that was life changing. Mm. And uh, and the fact is, I didn't even know it was such a traumatic uh, moment in my life that actually impacted me as an adult, specifically my relationship with women, um, which which manifested in in, I'm several marriages in. I mean, that's just the kind of impact it had is that profound. And Mm. I was fortunate enough that my my wife said, you've got some anger issues. And I was like, I'm not an angry person at all, but 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 there was definitely some anger issues that I had to come to grip with. And, and this is what happened. So I, I was fortunate to do a journey with a shaman. And in that journey, I was able to go back in time. And I went back to the time I was probably two, maybe three years old. And uh, my mom, I think she was having an argument or something with my dad. It had nothing to do with me, but she took my, and I was kind of screaming. I was hungry. I, I knew there was attention that I was wanting I remember this distinctively uh, that that young uh, and and she got upset and broke what was basically my favorite sippy cup. I mean, <laughs> I had this favorite uh, sippy cup and it had two handles on it. It's like it's weird how I can remember the details of this thing. It was like a seafoam green, just the, almost like a light blue. It was so such detail. And when she broke that sippy cup, I was devastated. And at the time, I didn't know this till till years later, 
At the time, I created a belief that the person that loves you the most, the closest, the most closest to you, the person you're supposed to trust 100% implicitly, that's going to have your back, will eventually let you down and hurt you. Mm. That's the belief I created. And, and it was so traumatic that any time I'd be in a relationship over time, it would manifest in my inability to be truly intimate and, and in inability to treat, to be vulnerable because in the back of my mind, the belief was don't get too close because this person's going to hurt you. And in some cases I've literally manifested those kinds of relationships because that was my belief. Right. Um, and, and it got to the point you just get resentful and angry and, and don't even realize why. And, and in right. that journey, I was able to look at the uh, entire experience from the outside, just observing it like a movie. And in that <laughs> moment, I felt such sadness because I realized my mom, she, she, she loved me. She, she just had a moment. She, was, she had a human moment, right? We all have them. Uh, we're not perfect, but I I turned that into this judgmental belief that I, I because I didn't know any better. I was two years old, right? That right. that that you know people who love you going to hurt you. It was such a stupid uh, belief to actually even have gone there because as an adult looking at that situation, I was like, she just had a moment. It had nothing to do with her less loving me enough or wanting to hurt me. And I was able to let that go and actually forgive her and forgive myself. And all of it happened in this, this movie, in, my, in this mm. journey, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then I played back my entire life from that moment forward in all kinds of moments that manifested this negative trauma throughout different experiences of my life. Because unfortunately, right. that's the problem. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You, you believe you right. And I it literally... As I moved, looked through the movie, I didn't see all those moments. Like, they were gone. It's almost as right. if I erased them. Right. And it set me free. I got to tell you, man, I, I integrated from that journey for about a year afterward. Just the, mm. the knowledge and the wisdom and the, the understanding that came from that. That was really a gift. And right. I, I get the chills talking about it because it changed my life. But I was, you know, but it required me wanting to be vulnerable enough to go there to deal with that trauma. Right. What has been in your experience, some of the ways that people have been able to either go there or should think about being able to go there? Well, you're, you're so right. And, you know, I, um, I can tell you um, all all of my traumas or, you know, talk about, you know, trauma in general, but I think one of the things that's, been very, very helpful that helps you to get, you know, uh, rewired, if you will, is to, uh, you know, I use mindfulness and meditation as a part of my uh, practice, as a primary part of the practice to go ahead and help people to calm down this chatter, this, uh, you know, this, uh, this chatter of, 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 of being a human doing and not a human being and really settling down to go ahead and take a look at the things that are holding us back. You know, because mindfulness really is sort of lifted out of a 2,500-year-old Buddhist tradition, and part of the mindfulness uh, outline is really to gain recognition and choice. And that's really recognition and choice are the two primary things that if we don't have recognition and choice, recognition of what's going on inside of us, what are our feelings, what's happening now, and then choice, give me eight seconds, 10 seconds, give me some recognition and, and help me to have a little time so that I, you know, between stimulus and response, there's a gap. 
So, you know, it's a vic- wonderful Victor Frankl line, you know, be- between stimulus and response is a gap. And this is where the opportunity is to go ahead and change your life. So with this mindfulness, we wind up working with individuals so that they can go ahead and throughout the day, you know, whether or not it's being in traffic or whether or not it's being with a loved one and she says something, he says something that, you know, is maybe not said the right way and old patterns, old behaviors just come up, come up and, you know, you can feel like you're a victim or a victor or you can feel like you somehow have to attack or you can stop and say, oh, wait, wait a second. Oh, okay. And, and have some, that recognition and choice. And that's been a very, very good part. It's, it's one of the reasons why mindfulness over the last, you know, 30 years came from basically a part of meditation to now it's over a billion dollar industry because the neuroscience shows that what's what gets fired gets wired. So if you can rewire it, if you can go ahead and make a different choice, then you can go ahead and look at new behaviors. Some people in the psychology field will argue that it, it, it's a slippery slope. Um, you think? I don't agree. <laughs> but some will argue, because maybe it's just their way of justifying the complexity sure. of psychology. But, but um, my question is more like, how do you identify that you have trauma to begin with? I mean, how does someone create enough awareness to identify it? Um, and and what you're suggesting is that it also is something you feel in the body. It's like it's remedied into the memory of your your muscles, your your body itself. So how do sure. you? What are some yeah. of the telltale signs of like, hey, you know, I might be dealing with some old trauma here, besides repetitive behaviors, right? What what are potentially some of the telltale signs that you've learned that you might want to share? Well, you know, I think um, I think you can see uh, I think you can see trauma manifesting itself everywhere nowadays, uh, basically by, you know, how 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 people behave, you know, uh, drinking, drugging, eating, sex and spending, uh, you know, and also uh, addictions, uh, compulsions, behaviors that really are meant to go ahead and numb a lot of the pain that's associated with traumas. Uh, we're the biggest uh, drug-addicted culture in the world. We're the most overbeast culture in the world. We have more divorces and, uh, you know, uh, more more gun shootings, more, more uh, violence in our society. You know, these are very outward manifestations of trauma. And, you know, if you look at, you know, people who get hurt, hurt people and or they hurt themselves. And, you know, those are those are definitely ways of looking at trauma. You know, I work with people who want to do the right thing. They want to eat the right thing. They want to go ahead and be loving and kind and caring and charitable and considerate of others. But they just fall on themselves and they trip over themselves again and again and again and again. So the real question then comes to, okay, well, if you know that you're doing the wrong thing, why aren't you why aren't you behaving in a way that allows you to go ahead and do the right thing? So, you know, th- this is where trauma uh, really happens. It's like a broken needle on an old record player. The record skips again and again and again. We know what the right thing is, we, but we keep on walking down the wrong street and we fall in the hole. So, you know, these are the indications and the telltale signs of trauma. So this begs a question. <clears throat> Obviously, we're not a country where the, that has the highest levels of trauma. Everywhere in the world is trauma. 
but we have the worst manifestation of anywhere in the world. So my question is, is it because we're not comfortable talking about it? We're not willing to go there? Uh, is it because there's such a big sort of a shaming society? I mean, we, we thrive on shaming people. I mean, the, the news, uh, it just kind of, it's just kind of is what it is, right? I was listening to a TED talk by Monica Lewinsky, which was basically making the case for how we love shaming. It's like an industry. And that obviously wouldn't encourage people to talk. In your opinion, what do you think is the is the is the issue? Are just people are afraid to be vulnerable and go there and talk about it? Why why do we have such a high level of negative manifestation from things that in other parts of the world perhaps they're dealing with it differently? What, what you know, in your travels, what have you noticed that's different? Well, first of all, yes to all of the um, items that you said. Um, you know, we, we are a trauma-written society. Everyone has trauma, either explicit or implicit trauma, meaning that they've, you know, experienced themselves and they have an event that they can recall or somehow they've uh, treated, they've uh, identified it emotionally. They know there is something that's holding them back, but they haven't specifically identified the particular circumstance like you identified when you were a kid because implicitly the, um, the language is not there, right? Right. But, you know, but, when you're when you're a kid, you don't have the language. So they're not emotionally literate and they don't have the languaging of that. But trauma is something that, you know, you don't see and it carries uh, not only psychologically, but also in the body and it repeats itself. You know, that's the nature of trauma. So when you see these shows and you see what's happening in our society, it's no wonder that you know, it's repeating itself again and again and again and again. Could a society itself actually be suffering from trauma? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking if, if society in itself is an organism, is a body, this country has had some trauma in the past hundred years. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I mean, and serious trauma. We've caused trauma. To an entire race, for example, which we haven't yes. restituted properly for. Yes. We haven't restituted at all, actually. And yes. so, in essence, we as a society are living and suffering from a trauma that hasn't properly healed. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without question. Uh, I believe that that is inherently a part of, uh, systemically, a part of what, uh, you know, we deal with here in the society. And, and, you know, whether or not it's, uh, you know, re re repatriation of, uh, you know, uh, understanding that we've created so many troubles, never mind the fact that we as a society, never mind slavery, but also, you know, let's take a look at the American Indians. You know, we're, there, there is something that really uh, is very systemic and uh, it, it, it is repeatable. And trauma is one of those things that, you know, suddenly you're you're standing on top of your trauma and you're saying okay war is good guns are good you know never mind the fatalities never mind the issues never mind the psychological issues and oh by the way you know if you're not there then somehow you're you know you're you're a snowflake you know so i think these are i think these are big issues psychological emotional and the way you deal with it is by numbing and we are a society that has learned how to numb 
better than any other society on the planet. So how do we change that, Keith? Uh, well, you know, I, gotta, I think for... <laughs> I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I never thought of it that way as I am right now in terms of the, the society being a body and and collectively this body is suffering from trauma that, that we haven't healed and, has, and we have chosen to numb through all those things you mentioned. Right. Right. And of course, and if if I just want to say, if anybody thinks they're not part of that body, they're delusional because we are collectively um, the the manifestation of everything we see in society. We everything we we see and even the people we put in power or a representation, a mirror of aspects of ourselves, a resonance of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's the butterfly effect. And and I think that's part of the other problem, too, is there's a severe lack of wanting to take a responsibility and being accountable for our own selves to actually look at someone and say, why does that bother me so much? Maybe it's a mirror of something I have inside or some, some issue that I haven't dealt with that I don't want to look at because it's too ugly. And my question is, how do we change that? Sure. Sure. Well, I think the you know, the saying the mind that created the problem is not the same mind that can fix it. And the first step is admitting that you have a problem. Um, you know, and and then based on that, you know, uh, looking at ways of dealing with that, whether or not it's through, um, you know, societal changes that really help individuals to know that they're supported. You know, uh, even if we look at the major issue that we've got in our society for numbing right now is addiction, the opioid addiction uh, crisis and, you know, the stigma, the uh, it's becoming less of a stigma today. Than it was, let's say, five years ago. But you know, looking at individuals as not as 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 addicts that somehow they're less than, but people who are really casualties of a system that said, you know, oh yeah, you have a, a back pain. Why don't you take, you know, two or three oxycontin a day? And you know, the next thing you know, you're addicted. The next thing you know, you're thrown off of insurance. The next thing you know, you can't afford it, so you go out and get some heroin because your body is saying, I need this to live. And it all started with a very innocent back pain that a doctor prescribed some meds for. And of course, now we know we have an issue, but you know, a lot of this is way too late. So, you know, we really need some very hard looks into the mirror on this to go ahead and make some real changes. And, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that we're going to see that right away. Certainly. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to see it in this generation. I do believe that we see another generation coming up and maybe a, a complete, you know, sweep of, you know, the, 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 whether or not it's the Congress or the, con- uh, the president or the Senate, I think there's gotta be some really drastic changes afoot because, you know, when you're, when you're sick, you, you really have to, you really have to check yourself in and, and, and maybe, you know, go on life support and try to figure out how to get well, because that's where we're at. Indeed, indeed. I, I think you said something interesting about not sure if we'll do it in this generation. And I would probably agree with you. Um, uh, personally, I think we have to do away with um, what I call the people pleasing disease. Mm. We are so concerned about other people's opinion that we end up doing what makes us look good instead of doing what makes us feel good. And I mean, I love 
people like Gary V and, and his message to, to, uh, to millennials, which is like, you know, someone just meets you for two minutes and they judge you. Like they don't know you. Mm. They, they get a, a picture of you for like a minute or 10 minutes, even for an hour. And they make a judgment of you. They don't know who you are inside. They don't have a clue who you are. Mm-hmm. And yet they make a judgment. And, and then we internalize that judgment and take it in for what they're saying as if it's valid, but they don't, they don't have a clue who you are. How could you allow that to even impact your thinking about yourself? Hmm. And, and I think that's part of the, the challenge is in order for us to get to a place where we would be open and okay with, we're truly looking at trauma as just the same way we would treat a cold, right? You don't demonize someone for having a cold. <laughs> um, right. You know, I think when we stop worrying about how we look and start worrying more about how we feel, we might actually have a shot of breaking through. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, uh, Tulio. I think the I think the thing that you're, you know, I talk about with my clients, you know, living life from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And, you know, a lot of people live life from the outside in and they let that go ahead and be a reflection in terms of who they are. You know, uh, rather than having self-worth, they determine their self-worth by their net worth. And, you know, that's not a right way to live. Uh, You know, when you determine your self-worth based on your own values, your principles, where you came from, what you came through and what you, you know, jumped over to go ahead and get to where you are, then you're living life from the inside out. You're not living life from the outside in. And granted, it is a compromise. You know, you, it, you, you can't just be me, 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 me. And, you know, you have to look at life from the uh, outside in as well. But I think many people are judging their, their, their self-worth based on their net worth. And, you know, it's become a consumer-written society where, you know, and a mechanized society where, you know, from an emotional viewpoint, what, you, what we used to value as, uh, you know, ways of really having compassion, care, love, uh, you know, care for the community, care for the family, you know, care for the elders, care for the history, you know, things of that nature, which are really much more, I think, um, you know, intrinsic inside out values, rather than, you know, how much money you have, what are the things you have, where do you work, what kind of a job do you have, what are you wearing, and so on and so forth. You know, those are, those are very, very, you know, material, you know, it's a materialistic, consumeristic kind of perspective. So I think we need to get much more to that inside out living life based on values rather than the value of everything, or knowing the price of everything and the value of nothing. You know, those are, those are really at the heart of it. And the question is, is how are we going to get there? You know, uh, this is a, I think you've asked that question, certainly. I, I don't know how we're going to get there, especially when we know what's happening with technology is it is uh, dumbing down the right side of the brain. It's enlarging the left side of the brain for, you know, logic, rational, you know, thinking uh, uh, left side of the uh, right side of the brain being for emotion, left side being for logic. I think those are those are real questions. Now, at least they're teaching in the schools social emotional learning. They're going ahead and finding, you know, my granddaughter who's seven years old said that was her favorite thing to do is be a part of the mindfulness and the meditation. She didn't just say that because of me. She said that, you know, really without, you know, to her mom without even knowing what I was doing at the time. But, you know, I think these are I think these are really important times. And uh, 
from a crucial viewpoint, they're what we do and how what choices we make are really going to determine the future. You know, I, I think um, I agree with you 100%. I think that the nature of people is actually quite giving and kind once their meet their needs are met. And, um, and it, I believe that if people actually took care of themselves and actually learn to love themselves, that they would extend it outside. You can't give what you don't have. Mm. And, and I think part of the problem is also this, this dogma and doctrine, which has been around for a long time about not being good enough where, you know, everything is through some third party that, 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 that approves of you or not a doesn't. And, and that mindset creates a bit of a prison for people where they, they think that they're not worthy. There's so many, there's so many elements and complications to this issue, Keith, but I keep asking the question, how do we solve it? Because I want to plant the seed that more people should ask that question because, because the beginning to finding a solution is asking the question, right? <laughs> um, right. So right. Re- really appreciate uh, speaking with you. We're up on time. Interestingly enough, Keith, uh, do you remember when we used to have breakout sessions at conferences that were like two hours long? Oh, yes. Well, it turns out now they're only 30 minutes because that's about the attention span of most people, which is why most podcasts are only 30 minutes now as well. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, 30 minutes seems like such a short period of time, but that's all people have attention span for. And unfortunately, it's probably going to get shorter and shorter. But anyway, it's been (laughs) a pleasure talking with you. I'd love to connect again in the next season. And um, any words of wisdom you want to part with today for the audience? Uh, well, just be here now and uh, be here with your full heart and an open heart. That's it. Great words of wisdom. Keith, always a pleasure. Thank you for listening, everyone. Until next time.